Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Thank you very much. It's always good to be back at Grace. I always get nervous with the introductions. They always find a way to laughingly chide me about various aspects of my about my career. It's wonderful to be back here. This is my home church in many ways. Three of my four daughters were born while we were um, members here of Grace, and it always uh, fills my heart with such joy just to be back here, much less to, um, to be able to preach. Join me in prayer as we open up today. Father, we have come to meet you. You are not just God. You are a personal God. You are a living God. You are a God who desires to love us, to meet with us, to be a part of our lives, and to change our lives. As we gather here today to hear from you, as we open your word, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open, that we would be ready and eager, that we would expect to hear from a God who speaks. May we be transformed because we have been here today, because we've worshiped together, and because we've opened your word, and we've heard you speak through it. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to ask you a tough question, a question that maybe sounds, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't want to answer it, maybe you've never heard a question like this, but it simply goes like this. Has God ever stopped on you? Sometimes we use phrases other, besides that. We say things like maybe, have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you ever been startled by God? Now, half of you are probably going, yes, I can relate. And other half of you are probably going, I have, I have no idea what this means, or I don't have the terminology to prepare to understand this. Um, but we all basically have this experience as we're walking down the road, following God, trying to prayerfully consider what he has for our lives. We feel like there are times in our lives where we've, we've found some avenue of God's blessing, some opportunity that we've been praying for, and some means of God's provision where God is walking us down a path, and then all of a sudden we hit a brick wall. Maybe it's Maybe it's a job that you've been praying for and a, a dream job, an ideal job that, that you feel like would be a, a God-honoring way to use your time and a, the gifts that God has blessed you to build his kingdom and for his glory. And God seems to be opening up the doors. And then all of a sudden, when least expected, you hit a brick wall and you can't figure out what happened. Maybe it's in pursuit of a relationship. You, um, you have a strong desire for um, family and community. And those, those, those avenues seem to be frustrated. You, seem, you keep pursuing opportunities in that direction. You go several steps down the path, and just when you think God is going to answer your prayers, all of a sudden, boom, a wall gets, uh, a wall gets uh, thrown up. Maybe it's health. Maybe there are opportunities um, that you've been praying for for your own personal health, and God seems to be uh, blessing you and leading you down a specific path, and then all of a sudden, frustration and failure. It seems they a common experience of the Christian life that God leads us through these paths and all of a sudden, for reasons that it's hard for us to figure out sometimes, God stops. And we're left to answer the question, why? Now, the comforting thing is this seems to be the, the message of, of Scripture from beginning to end. Believers and followers of God throughout all time have been stuck in this situation. Abraham gets told that he is going to be the father of many nations, that his children uh, are going to outnumber the, the stars in the heavens, and then God made him wait. He waits so long that he begins making bad choices to fix God's problem for him. Uh, 
uh, you think about Exodus and Moses leading um, people out of, Israel, out of Egypt. And they get out in the wilderness. They've seen God's miracles. They've seen God's blessing. And then all of a sudden they start groaning and saying things like, did you really lead us out into the wilderness so we could die in the desert? Weren't there tombs back in Egypt? Think about all the way at the end of Scripture in the book of Revelation. What do the saints cry out? How long, O Lord? The Psalms are full of people wondering and waiting and trying to petition and prayerfully ask God, what are you doing? Have you forgotten us? Have you left us? I want to start today by just saying that is a common place to be in. Sometimes we're afraid to answer those questions. Sometimes the... uh, the church is the place where we try to put on our church attitude, our church appearance, and we try to pretend everything is okay rather than asking the really tough questions that we desperately need answers to. We try to pretend that we have this full and robust faith rather than confessing our brokenness and our need for answers and our, and our hope that God really is, is here. Well, I want to look today at a, at a passage of Scripture, a passage that I've, I've found frequent nourishment and joy and, um, and help in, a time when God stopped on somebody. A time um, when he promised to help and then in the process stopped for a period. I want to ask the questions why he did and hopefully gain in the process um, nourishment and support for our soul as well. We're going to be in, in Luke's gospel, in, in Luke's biography of Jesus, Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, Jesus, uh, the, the writer Luke, records an encounter Jesus had with a man, a man with a problem, a man that he agrees to help. Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 40. It starts off with a request. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. And as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Here's a man, they've been waiting for Jesus. Jesus has been off doing other things, and he's been performing miracles, and they know what he can do. And so they, they're seeking him. And when he shows up, Jairus comes to him, and he begs him, please, I have a daughter, and she's sick, and she's at the point of death. Please, will you help her? And Jesus agrees. Jesus says yes and begins to walk down the path with him towards his daughter. And on the way, there's an interruption. On the way, Jesus um, encounters somebody else. Verse 43. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up from behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, somebody did touch me, for I was aware that the power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people um, the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, I've heard whole sermons just preached on this single uh, event, a woman who was struggling for 12 years with, the, with, a, with a medical condition that nobody could cure. In Matthew's biography of Jesus, he records that she had spent all of her money on doctors and nobody could help her. In fact, they'd actually made it worse. 
And this wasn't just a medical condition. This was a medical condition that would have, would have isolated her, that would have shunned her, that would have inhibited every opportunity for, um, for relationship and family. She would have been ostracized from society. And here she took a risk and she came to Jesus. But the thing that always struck me as interesting about this passage is not just the encounter with, with uh, Jesus. He turns and he stops and he asks her, uh, who touched me? Like, he could have just gone on. Why did he stop here and talk to her? She was already healed, and there are reasons why for the sake of, for the, sake of the woman he stopped. He wanted to acknowledge in front of everybody that she, was, um, that she was, uh, had been healed. She wanted to, he wanted to help her um, be reacquainted and reabsorbed into society. He wanted to acknowledge her faith. But what's interesting about this passage is there's a guy with a dying daughter standing at Jesus' elbow. The whole time this passage happens, Jairus is standing there saying, Jesus, you agreed to help me. She's healed. Can we move on? If that were you, if you were Jairus, what would you be thinking when Jesus stopped? Would you be nervously frustrated? Like, come on, Jesus, hurry up. She's healed. Why are we stopping? We don't need to do this. Uh, would you be um, kind of uh, sad? I guess, I guess maybe she's more important than me. Maybe the little passive-aggressive answer, right? Oh, I guess she's yeah, she, uh, she got to be healed too. too. Um, would you maybe? I, I sometimes think that maybe you're worried a little bit, right? Maybe like in the old days of flash cameras, like the power went out of Jesus. Are you nervous now that Jesus can't help you? The the power left him, and like, okay, Jesus, what's the recharge time? I don't know. Um, the the power left. Oh my goodness, can you not help me anymore? It's a joy to think that maybe he was positively optimistic, wondering uh, maybe he did it for her, he can do it for my daughter. But then the news comes. Then the news comes. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered only, do not be afraid any longer, only believe and she will be made well. There's no um, emphasis italics in the, in, the, in the Bible, but I can almost see or hear or wonder if it was said this way. Um, Jesus, the, it says, while he was still speaking, someone came to him. So the words he was speaking were, daughter, your faith has made you well. And someone comes up while Jesus is saying those words. And maybe the emphasis went something like this. Don't trouble the master any longer. Your daughter is dead. Jesus called this one woman daughter, and now someone whispers in Jairus' ears, your daughter has died. There's an interesting relationship between the two, and, and, and I, I can see Jairus kind of um, getting, uh, getting sad and morose and panicked and nervous, and Jesus looks him dead in the eye, turns around and looks him dead in the eye and says, don't be afraid, stop fearing. Only believe. And they walk on. The situation ends with a miracle. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her because he, um, but he said, Stop weeping, for she had not died, but she is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned to her, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. 
He goes into the house and they're weeping because she's now died. And she tells him, don't be, a, don't weep. She's just asleep. And they start laughing at Jesus. Their weeping turns to laughing because they're mocking Jesus because they know the preposterous thing he has just said. They know death and she is dead. It is hopeless. You got here too late. And Jesus really does turn their mourning into celebration when he, when he tells her to get up. And this man that we were hoping to help shows himself to be a God who can raise the dead. It's a cool and interesting and powerful picture. It's a lesson that, that helps me and encourages me because I feel like in my life I'm Jairus. I'm Jairus stuck at, at Jesus' elbow looking at him help somebody else sometimes, and I'm wondering, why'd you stop? Have you forgotten about me? And I find in this passage, I find in this passage three helpful things that encourage my soul about why sometimes God stops. Why sometimes he walks us down this path and, and leads us um, in this way. The first reason, the first reason I think for Jairus' sake, Jesus stopped on him. Sometimes God stops to expand our vision. To expand our vision. In the midst of our problems and prayers, sometimes in our goals we set for ourselves and our eager expectations for our future, we become very uh, self-centered. We get tunnel vision, even in our pain sometimes. This is all we can and do focus on. And sometimes Jesus stops to expand our vision. Now, what I'm not saying is that Jesus is stopping uh, to show you there's something else more important going on. See, this is how, frequently how we encourage and or sometimes discourage people in the midst of their pain. Um, have you ever tried to confess to somebody the problem or frustration or pain you're going through and in an attempt to console you, someone came back with, well, at least, blah, blah, blah. Right? I'm really having some problems with my job. Hey, man, well, at least you have a job. Right? Sometimes we end up invalidating people's pain because we can imagine a pain more serious. There's a whole internet phenomenon called first world problems, right? Where we sort of make fun of the real pain people are experiencing just because we can come up with a more complicated or devious or frustrating problem than the one you're currently experiencing. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't say, um, hey, Jairus, I know that your daughter is sick but this is a more important problem I have to take care of. Notice, uh, how long has the woman been suffering from her problem? 12 years, the same exact time as this child has been alive. It's a 12-year-old girl and a 12-year sickness. Jesus doesn't say, well, Jairus, at least you got to have kids. This woman um, has been suffering from this, and she's broke, and she's alone. Why don't you just be grateful for what you have? He doesn't say that. He stops to expand our vision, to show us there's something else going on. Sometimes we, we treat God in our prayers um, like, like he's a busy waitress with a lot of tables, okay? And that, and that sometimes we think that God tells us no or that we have to wait because he's got more important people to take care of. Yes, I know you need some, some silverware, but that person is signing their check and I got to get there now. Or if I don't get that table over to table 42, then their dinner is going to be cold. Or we treat God like he's a triage nurse in an ER where he's trying to get to the most important problems first and you're going to have to sit and wait for a while until your number comes up and there's a room for, someone, uh, for, for a person with a broken ankle. What God is trying to show us is that he is, a, he is in full control of this whole world. 
there are two simultaneous truths that's difficult for us to realize at the same time. One, there are seven billion people in this world, and you are just one person in a whole ocean of people. And God has every single hair on your head counted. It's both. It's both. That there are seven billion people in the world that God all loves with the same love he loves you, with the same concern that he has for you, with the same, um, with the same focus and gaze that he has for you, he has for everybody else. And God is at work fulfilling his plan for this good world. And this is a plan that, that, that fits everything together. That you haven't been left, but neither has that person either. God stops sometimes to expand our vision. What are you focused intently on right now? What consumes your thoughts? What problem or frustration or goal what thing captivates you? What is the thing you talk about all the time when you, when you complain or stew? What, what is it? What else might God be trying to show you now? What other things are going on in the circuit of your, of your world that God is trying to make you aware of to get you to realize? What other places is God trying to, um, to show you he is at work in the midst of, amidst of the pain? So he expands our vision. Second, second, sometimes God stops to expose our fears. To expose our fears. Um, what is the first thing that Jesus says to him when, when the guy whispers in his ear, uh, your daughter's dead, don't trouble the master anymore. He looks him dead in the eyes and says, don't be afraid. Stop fearing. So many times we come to Jesus nervously afraid that something bad is going to happen. And we want God to fix it before it does happen. In fact, most of us don't even want to sometimes acknowledge the deepest fears that we hold because we're worried that if we, if we, um, if we voice them that somehow they're going to come true. But Jesus isn't some drill instructor who's going to try and figure out what you're afraid of so we can expose you to it on a regular basis. We're told that, that perfect love casts out fear, that Jesus came to free you of the fear that you feel enslaved to right now. And the way he frees, it, frees you from it is by bringing it up, bringing it to the light, exposing it, and showing his love as being stronger than that fear. One of the most, a powerful verse that comes in, um, in the book of Hebrews says that Jesus freed those who had, for the, um, who had, because of fear of death, been slaves their entire life. What are you afraid of? What fears do you carry inside of you that maybe you don't even want to acknowledge? Is it a fear of death? Is it a fear of death? Jesus says that, that, that he, he, is, he was dead and now he's alive for anymore, and he has the keys of death and Hades. Is it a fear of failure? Do you, do you wander around um, worried that you are going to fail at the next endeavor, that maybe um, the, the, the statements of your, of your enemies and your critics were actually true and that you are no good? Are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid that someone is going to know your sin? Are you hiding that sin that you desperately need to be freed from but can't seem to get out of your life? Are you afraid of abandonment? Are you afraid that you're going to be left all alone? Are you afraid of bankruptcy, 
of not having those things that you need to take care of yourself and your family in the ways you desire. Have you ever truly acknowledged what you are afraid of, laid it on the altar of God and say, this is who I am and I desperately needed to be separate from it? In the quiet times when you maybe don't want to talk about it, in the most hurtful times, in the most alone times, have you ever been afraid that God wasn't there? I have a, a friend of mine who, who said just that, that he stopped following the Lord because in a, in a moment of extreme pain and extreme sorrow, in a time when he thought God should have been there, he felt like he wasn't. That's something we can't, we can't say at church sometimes. We, we feel like we can't bring up, but it's a fear we all carry. Sometimes we say, sometimes it feels like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and that's all. Is there anybody there? Is there really a powerful, personal, living God behind the universe who knows me better than I know myself, wants to hear my prayers, and it's actively at work to meet my needs and to fulfill his plan for this, cre this creation? Say it. Say what you're afraid of. Sometimes God puts us in places where we acknowledge our fears, where he forces us into those times when we can, those fears can be exposed so he can show us that he's bigger than those fears. Perfect love casts out fear. Let God love you. And let God show you he is bigger and stronger than that fear that you've been carrying. Sometimes God stops because he wants to uh, ex expand our vision. Sometimes God stops because he wants to expose our fear. And last, I find in here, sometimes God stops because he wants to explode our boundaries. We do a good job of bookending God. We do, we do a good job of treating God like he is, like he is a, a servant or a concierge and that if he would just do what we need when we need him to do it, then everything would be okay. And so we give God these bookends and says, uh, if you would get here between this time and this time, everything's going to be okay. And God waits. God waits to show us that our, our God is too small. The boxes we put God in are too small our expectations of God are too safe. God tells us to depend on him for daily bread. And so many times we find it more comfortable to depend on him for monthly or yearly or decadely bread. <laughs> we don't actually want the accounts to get down to $10. We want to know, say, you know, God, I'm willing to start trusting you next summer when this money runs out. But right now, I really, I'm going to worry about it now, even though I have enough for today and tomorrow and for the next year. God says, I'm going to get you to a place where you're going to begin to depend on me for daily bread. And you're going to learn that I can take care of it. So many times we say, God, I, my relationships, I'll, God, if I could just get married by this date, by, by, by the time I'm this age, then all my problems will be solved and everything's going to be fine. We give God an expiration date to fulfill his prayers to us. And God, if you do it by then, it's going to be wonderful. Anything beyond that, all hope is lost. Sometimes it's career. 
We live in an age that, that likes child prodigies, right? So we, we all want to be super successful by the time we're 30, and then if it doesn't happen, then, then we despair. And we all have these ladders that we're expected to climb. We're going to reach such and such a target by such and such a date. We're going to have this much money in the bank, and we're going to do. And we have these plans, and when vocational um, obstacles uh, come our ways or when we don't succeed or get promoted at the same pace or when a job that we had had for so long suddenly um, disappears, then we think all hope is lost because God hasn't provided for us in the way we thought he should. God takes our boundaries and he wants to stretch them. He wants to say, you have put me in this box and you do not realize what I am capable of. Scripture is full of, um, full of stories where God says, no, I'm not going to grant you victory in this. Like I think of Gideon. Um, your army's too big. If you're going to go against that, uh, the enemies that I've sent you against, you're going to think you did it if you succeed. So I'm going to send you with 300 people. That way, you will have to acknowledge it was God and not you who did it. The psalmist, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. Our own, um, our own hopes that we have sometimes um, aren't what we need to be depending on. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians, um, Ephesians 3, where, where Paul calls God the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond what we ask or think. What boundaries have you put on God? What, what narrow window of operation have you given him to succeed? And if outside of this, he, if he doesn't answer here, then it's all lost. What, um, what, Limits have you placed on God's power to act? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, um, he says, we had in us everywhere the sentence of death so that we would learn not to trust ourselves but trust a God who raises the dead. The whole message of Christianity is that everybody tried to do everything they could to, uh, to defeat Jesus. They killed him. And even death couldn't keep him down. Jesus stops on Jairus because he wants to show him that God can help even when we think he can't. That God is at work even when we think he's powerless. God is not hindered by the obstacles that we feel when, that we are hindered by. God waits because he wants to show Jairus that he can't just heal a sick girl. He can raise the dead. There is nothing that's impossible for God to do. Have you, have you bounded God in some bookends? Have you said, God, you better answer my prayer by here because if you don't, then something bad's gonna happen. God, do you realize how small that, mo that money in my bank account is running out? Have you seen how poorly this company I work for is being managed? Have you seen how old I'm getting? Have you seen, you know, what are those things that you tell God that if he doesn't act now, it's gonna be too late? And how can we simply acknowledge, God, teach me to cheerfully depend upon you, the great maker of the world. Show me that you are in control. Grant me the power um, to trust you, even when I don't see how it's going to fulfill, be fulfilled. And help me to see your greatness and goodness in the midst of this. Where are you this morning? Has this, has this hit you in a place that needed to hit you? 
I know it hit me. I know that I look at, at the course of my life and I, and I, I do a bad job sometimes of comparing it to other people and, and realize that, that even in the good ways that God has blessed my life, I find, good, I find reason to compare my weaknesses to someone else's strengths. So I look at the, the way that my life has unfolded and, and the things that I would like to see uh, happen in my life and the ways God has led me. And I wonder why God has led me down the route he's led me on. This passage consoles me. Hopefully it consoles you. It teaches me. It helps me to, to realize that I'm going to be waiting on God, not because, God's, uh, not because God is slow and not because God is not concerned, but God has a big, grand plan that's coming true, and he is at work even now to meet your needs and to fulfill his plan, both for your good and his greater glory. That one day we will all say, no, I has seen, no ear has hear, heard, no mind has conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. What do you need to do this morning? What do you take away from this? What do you need to do differently when you leave this sanctuary because you have heard this passage today? Do you need to look around? Have you been so focused on your own problems that you've missed the opportunity to see other people? That you, do you need to look around and see the great things that God is doing elsewhere that maybe God is calling you to minister to? How do you need to elevate your vision and look around? Maybe you need to prayerfully acknowledge your fear. Say, God, I'm afraid of death or failure. I'm afraid of my health falling apart. And I'm, I'm afraid of acknowledging my fears because I'm afraid they'll come true if I voice them. Do you need to lay your fears on the altar of God and have God love you? To have his perfect love cast those fears out. Do you need to say, God, I've, I've, I've given you some boundaries, boundaries that are unhealthy, boundaries that are, um, I treated you, God, like you are just a little bit smarter and a little bit more powerful than me, and if I can't figure it out, then, then you must not be able to. Um, how can we confess our frailty and cheerfully depend upon a God who can love all of us and answer and hear all of our prayers, who is not troubled by our fears, who is not shocked by our sin, who is not carried away or dis disturbed by our problems, but is actively even now trying to, to, to heal you, to heal me, to heal this broken world. If God has stopped, God stopped for a good reason, and God is active even now, and he's calling us to trust him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the times when we, um, when we nervously and angrily or frustratedly are confused by what is going on. Help us in the midst of our perplexity not to despair. Help us to always trust you. And in the midst of, in the midst of our problems or concerns, help us to, to know that you desperately love us, that you do care, that you are concerned, and that you're actively work even now to meet our needs. And in the process, help us to have an expanded vision, to see the good um, things that you are doing, and maybe even the brokenness around us that you're actively at work to heal and how we might be able to be involved in it. Help us to um, acknowledge our fears before you, to lay them on your altar and see what, what you make out of them. And help us uh, to, um, to, to tear down our boundaries to trust you that no circumstance is beyond the hope or the reach, that there is no 
no hard heart that you can't break. There's no sin you can't forgive. There is nothing that you cannot overcome. And may we cheerfully depend on you as we wait. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.